I would just do things that really cut off connection and burnt bridges. And I think people do that a lot. And yes, of course, have a voice, be opinionated. Like, we, God, we need people standing up against things, particularly now. But I think sometimes we need to connect more than we need to, like, push people away. That's Emma Gannon, and this is Time to Talk. Welcome to Time to Talk, where I speak to life seekers, healers, and leaders in their fields to break down the stigmas of mental health, recover, and become emotionally courageous by having one conversation at a time. This week, it's time to talk about choices with Emma Gannon. If you don't know Emma, Emma Gannon is a Sunday Times bestselling author, speaker, novelist and host of the number one careers podcast in the UK, Control or Delete. With over 9 million downloads, nearing 10 million, last I checked, she has blogged since 2009, podcasted since 2016 and is the author of five books, including the novel Olive. Emma has been an amazing and uplifting support in my life since starting out in podcasting back in 2016, and it was my pleasure to have her on my show again. We first chatted about cancel culture down in episode 10, so if you're interested, head down there. But now we're on episode 142 and talking about choices. What choices do we have when we turn 30? Are we just conforming and making our life somewhat tormented by living up to outdated expectations for ourselves? In her debut novel, Olive, Emma's protagonist is childless by choice. We have a chat about this and the stigmas we face as very, very new adults. As ever, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and share among as many people as you can. Let's get the word out that here is the place for confident, wholehearted and compassionate conversation. Also, you can join our members only platform over at steadyhq.com forward slash Alex Holmes, where you can get a number of perks and member only content. It also helps me focus on the ads I want for the show on here. So they are beneficial to listeners who aren't officially members yet. And finally, my book, Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection is available for pre-order. If you go to alexholmes.co forward slash book, you can pre-order and there will also be a link in the description and show notes for you. But before that, let's have a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Time to Talk is brought to you by BetterHelp. When I first started going to therapy, it was one of the hardest things I could ever do. Because it was one of the most vulnerable things that you can ever do, sitting in front of somebody and sharing your deepest, darkest self and going through a process of healing, that wasn't the first part that was hard. The first part that was hard was finding a therapist. So I'm proud to say that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. Note, it's not a crisis line, it's not self-help, it's professional counselling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas, but we are in a pandemic and the more help we can get, the better. So visit betterhelp.com, time to talk 21. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash time to talk 
2021 and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional and get 10% off your first month. The service is available worldwide, guys, so there's literally no excuses. It's that simple. Head over to betterhelp.com forward slash time to talk 21 and you can get 10% off today. Let them know I sent you better help. Start living a happier life today. Now, buckle up, stay encouraged, and be brave. Let's talk to Emma Gannon about Welcome, choices. Emma, to Time to Talk. Thank you for joining me. You've actually joined the new iteration of What Matters, because I remember you were on like the first ten ep- one of the first 10 episodes, which I am super appreciative of you. <gasps> I loved doing that. That was two years ago in September, I think. That was two my, years ago in September. my memory is correct. Mm. So two years on, here we are, and I'm very excited to uh, catch up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But how are you doing? How's everything going for you right now? Just pandemic, just where you're at mentally, like how is everything? So interesting, isn't it, that that's such a loaded question now. <laughs> Even though how are you is always a bit weighted because... We're all just trying our best. Um, but no, you've caught me on a good day, actually. And yeah, today I'm feeling I got a bit of hope back. Um, but really, honestly, my mood is swinging from one uh, one side to the to the other at the moment. And I'm sure yeah. it's the same for everyone. Mm. But um, no, yeah, just highs and lows and trying to honestly use all the tools in my toolkit to just stay sane every day and realising all the books I've ever read, all the podcasts I've ever listened to, all of the talks I've ever been to, like I'm literally getting them out of my back pocket and uh, trying to stay sane, I think. Yeah, yeah. Definitely get into some of the books that you've been reading a bit later on, but um, I definitely relate to that. Like I've been, I've, I've, I spent so much on books in this lockdown and I've just got a stack of, I don't even know how many's here. One, two, three, four, five, six. I've got seven here that are just waiting for me to get into for the, by the end yeah. of the year. I've just said, look, I need to really knuckle down because you get so consumed with just the work and being behind screens. I just like disconnecting from that itself, you know, getting all that Zoom fatigue and all of that. Um, mm. Just looking forward to just going offline for a bit in November, yeah. December and just really just reading and just kind of like yes. getting my thoughts together and doing all of that stuff. So I totally, totally get that. Um, but as I say, it's a pleasure to have you here. It's always good to speak to friends and it's always good to speak to people who have returned to the show because um, you believe in my in my wayward ways, changing names of things, changing things all the time and just like, like okay, so we're doing this now. So I appreciate that. I love that. that. I see myself <laughs> in you. Honestly, I'm like, there's it's, there's no better way than being light on your feet and trying mm. new things. I love yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Always changing. And um at the top of the show, I always ask about the quote that you've brought to the table. Um, it's going to be a quote that's changed your life. It could be a quote that you use as a mantra, anything. Um, so what have you chosen? This this question, if I'm ever asked what my favourite quote is, I only remember one. And I don't know whether that's because it's my favourite or just because I can remember it. <laughs> but no, it is one that really speaks to me. It's love many, trust few, paddle your own canoe. And I love it because I think it really sums up what I truly kind of live my life by, which is I do think I kind of love a lot of things and I put a lot of energy out there and like 
I'm I'm a bit of a fan girl. Like mm-hmm. I just tell everyone they're great all the time, and like I genuinely do mean it. I just mm-hmm. see people, and I'm like, "You're great." Um, apart from you know the obvious people in the world, um, <laughs> but yeah. And I also think I am quite. I do trust people, but it takes a while for me to trust people. I'm quite mm-hmm. cynical. Um, if I read something in the news, like I'll go and read about it from another point of view like I don't believe things easily and then also like the paddling your own canoe thing I just love because I'm just staying in my lane doing my thing (laughs) yeah Um, yeah. who where did that come from I actually don't know and Mm. um maybe I should know but I feel like it's one of those anonymous ones I Mm. might get in trouble now maybe maybe uh you can google it later but I I I don't know (laughs) It's actually really cool because um, I think, yeah, very similar. I'm just like, you know, I have love for a lot of people. Um, I don't, you know, you don't har- I don't harbour anything against, you know, people or whatever, I, as you said, unless they're just like, awful people. <laughs> but even then, and then it's like, okay, so you stay in your own lane. You just kind of focus on what you're doing, um, supporting whoever you want to support. And um, and the, the trust thing, that's something I had to work on really and truly in therapy and it's over time because like I, I had deep trust issues just all, like always felt like I was being betrayed and then there were so many things like I was even betraying myself so there were things I had to kind of do to get over things and get through stuff so that's a very pertinent um, quote and a lot of people whenever they bring their quotes to me I'm always like yeah I relate to that yeah I get it and I'm just mm-hmm. like dude like were you just in my head before um, so it's it always sounds a little bit depressing doesn't it to say like only trust a few but sometimes I do think you learn the hard way with that and Mm. sometimes you do have to I don't know only let someone in at a certain point when they've gained that trust I also think of it you know even with how we share our mental health stories and maybe this is resonant for you but Mm. I I don't feel like everyone deserves to hear Mm-hmm. the full story sometimes yeah. and actually it takes a while to um to let people in and th- there's like a positive to that I think yeah. um because sometimes if you wear your heart on your sleeve and like tell everyone everything it's it can backfire it's dangerous and um because I love people who are open and open to speak but I also love people who stick to their boundaries and mm-hmm. kind of like you know just kind of have that line and just be like all right I'm not gonna speak about that that's just not what I want to talk about because everybody has the right to privacy and their own kind of and you know a right to keep secrets they have the right to do that and um, especially if it doesn't harm anybody else and um I was reading this book called uh, how to be an adult by David Rico and um he talks a lot about it's like a psyche it talks about like a psycho spiritual integration of like because he's a psychologist but he kind of talks about the kind of spiritual side of it as well and it was really interesting what he said about he says a lot about you know how you you have the right to keep secrets you have the right to your own privacy Mm -hmm. you have the right to all of that and then there's and you know sometimes we feel like oversharing because we feel like uh, people demand that of us and especially if you're a public figure or if you are somebody who has a profile or whatever it's like it's demanded of you that you say everything and and talk about everything and it just becomes this thing um where you're just less protected because you're so vulnerable like and and that's when vulnerability just kind of moves into a space of like open for attack sort of thing yeah but you can be open about your mental health stuff as well and just say Exactly. And we're all different because I think for me, Brené Brown, obviously the Mm. queen of vulnerability, she taught me the difference between sharing when you're ready and sharing when you're in the moment and it's a bit too raw. 
and you're basically you do need to protect yourself and I think that's why people wait a few years to write the memoir with all the painful Mm -hmm. bits in because you you need a bit of distance sometimes yeah 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 so that's a nice segue into writing um and I love speaking to writers I love speaking to people who I can kind of see the path made clear because I sometimes I I'm, I write I love writing I have no idea where it's going to take me but um I love seeing people that are doing the work and I just like watching them and just thinking okay cool so they're doing this it means it's possible sort of thing and um I wanted to look I wanted to ask you just about kind of you know you've written several non-fiction books and they've all done really really well and then I wanted to speak about just like the shift into kind of fiction because I feel like, you know, I feel like we have this thing where society kind of categorizes us in so many different ways. It's like, all right, you're a nonfiction writer. And then you have to do all the personal essays and the and the um, narrative nonfiction and then the, all the articles for the newspapers and whatnot. And then that's where you stay. You don't step out of that and go into poetry. You don't step out of that and go into fiction. You don't do that. So when you when you announced that you were um, releasing your novel, I was like, yes, this sounds great. Now, it can be done. So what was your reason for going from non-fiction to fiction? Mm. Yeah, it's so funny you say that because I did feel like I was put in a box and I really hate being put in a box. Everyone hates being put in a box. Mm. It is like my ultimate um, resistance is like, why do we just say, right, that's what you are now? Even when you're only a few years into your career, people just put you uh, put a label on you and mm. I wrote the multi-hyphen method as we discussed in the in the old episode mm. and really I wrote that book as a permission slip not just for other people but mainly for myself <laughs> I wrote that book to be like right here's the book on how you can be anything you can change your mind you can rebrand you can change shape as many times as you want in your lifetime mm. and then I was like right I'm going to write that book and then I'm going to go and do something completely different and if anyone questions it I will you know, revert back to the multi-hyphen book and be like, here it is. And it was interesting because when the multi-hyphen method came out, I became really pigeonholed as a business business author. And I even got a column in the Sunday Times in the business section. Mm. And I really enjoyed writing that for a few months, but it felt really wrong. And I remember going for the photo shoot and they were like, they wanted me to wear a jacket and a shirt no, they, but they wanted me to be kind of quite straight laced. That is and like, not you. And, and a business author. And I felt so awkward on the shoot. I, re- I remember bringing loads of dresses with me, like really bright dresses. And they just didn't want me to wear any of them mm. and felt very stifled and very, very pigeonholed. So I'm so glad that ended in the nicest possible way because sometimes you have to go through that to know that you don't want that. Yeah. And um, I don't want to sound ungrateful. Having a column for a newspaper is amazing, but yeah. it was not right for me. And it made me realise that I wanted to be more creative mm-hmm. and just break free of that, really. Yeah, you have to... I think the biggest joy in a lot of these things, especially in creative um, pursuits, is knowing what you don't want and being very clear on what you don't want. Because when you are... it's When you're going through and you think, I want that, I want that, I want that, and all of these things happen and you're just like, uh, it's a bit too much. I think we get, as you start to kind of shift about all the things that you don't like. So for me, I didn't, I like working in a newsroom um, was just overwhelming for me. I know I didn't want to do that. And I know I didn't want to do news reporting and I knew I didn't want to do all of those things. And once I got clear on what I didn't want to do, it just made room to really understand what I wanted. 
Um, So then you kind of got into a space where you were like, all right, so now you want to be more creative. You want to, you've got a story inside you that you want to tell. And then you ended up kind of focusing on fiction. Is that how it came about? Yeah, I always knew I wanted to write fiction. And honestly, I felt like if I keep going down this route and I keep becoming this brand of business author, it's going to be harder for me actually to pivot into new things because the more ingrained this idea becomes to other people. And it is crazy. We're living in such a tribal online world. You know, it's like, oh, I, I'm, am I part of that group? Or am I part of this group? Or am I in that club? Or am I that type of person? And I just felt like I needed to shake it all off mm-hmm. and just do what I wanted to do, which was write a novel. And it's funny because even the meetings with HarperCollins, which I just love, like I love them so much as a publisher, mm-hmm. but even they're like, what's your brand going to be as a fiction writer? And I'm like, why does everything have to be a brand? Like, I just mm-hmm. want to be myself. But I get it. You kind of have to carve out a new career. And the mm-hmm. challenge now for me is how do I do all these things and not confuse <laughs> people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm pretty much in the beginning of that phase because yeah. my book is out, coming out soon. I, wanna, I don't even know when this is going to go out, but it'll be out in April 2021. And you'll be coming on my podcast, I hope. We can <laughs> oh, we'll switch see. the tables around. Hopefully, hopefully, yes. And um, it's a question of like looking at, and then having all these questions around branding and what your message is and all of that stuff. I'm like, in a, in a way, I look at it and I'm just like, okay, so this is a lot. Like, just kind of, and you just write anything and people can just like consume it wherever they are. But then also, when I look at a lot of authors, I always look at kind of what their typical message is. And I'm like, well, they all have a message of some kind, you know, not, not all of them just write about anything. So it's just when you start applying the word branding to it, everything just kind of just, it just makes my like skin crawl a little bit. Yeah, it's like, same. Just, you're a product now, you're a commodity. Yeah, exactly. And I know, and I feel quite responsible, weirdly, for, you know, I definitely went into that personal branding world because five years ago, six years ago, it was quite exciting Mm. to to know that you could quit your job and basically start a brand, start a business, start some sort of movement. I Mm. I just love all that. But I think we need to kind of now pedal backwards a little bit of like not using the word brand all Mm. the time about everything. Yeah, yeah. And get clear on what that is and what it means, right? Yeah, and just really go back to basics. This is what this year has been about for me is I'm I'm really not interested in followers. I'm not interested in a shiny brand. I'm interested in building a community and and spreading a message. And Mm. I think once you get clear on that again, it can be really exciting again. For sure, for sure. And this is where we align. And this is is (laughs) why we're here again. Um, When did you know you wanted to be a writer? When did you know that that was... um, your space your thing I think from an early age I didn't know I wanted to be a writer I didn't really know that was a career choice but what I did know is that writing is the way that I can communicate in the best possible way so Mm. some of my earliest memories is quite funny I whenever I got into arguments with my sister or with my mum or dad Mm -hmm. I couldn't express myself verbally because I would I would get too upset or I wouldn't say the right things so I'd go upstairs and I'd write them a letter (laughs) so I'd basically and then hand them the letter and be like this is what I want to say and so I just find that quite interesting that even from an early age like I I found speaking hard and I found writing easy Mm. and I'm still like that now I feel so seen and understood when someone reads my books more than a conversation I think Mm. 
And I think mm. that's how you know. That's how I yeah. knew. Yeah. It's funny what happens when you start to look back and just think all the telltale, all the telltale signs were there. But um, yeah. but then it's just like when you get to an adult and you're like, well, it's, this is what I'm doing. But sometimes your parents will look at you and be like, well, you've been writing since you were like three. And you're like, yeah. what? <laughs> I don't remember any of that, like seven years. Yeah, they're like, one. oh, yeah, you wrote that novel when you were three. And you're like, what? Really? <laughs> um, but I did used to write really long stories when I was younger. But then I think... The thing that I don't like doing, though, is being like, oh, I knew I was going to be a writer and that makes me really special because I think most kids write a lot and I think Mm. most human beings are creative. I think all human beings are creative. Mm -hmm. And I think that pretty much all people kind of want to write and at least journal or write Mm. in a diary. I think it's like really universal. So Mm. I don't think it's actually something that is just like only a few people did that. I think it's why we find Twitter so upsetting. It's so unnatural to write 100 characters and be like, there's my thoughts, because it's not enough. We need pages and pages to get get out what we really want to say. For real. For real. (laughs) Yeah, I took a a whole step back from from that platform. You were an uh, early adopter of that, and you were right. (laughs) (laughs) So many of my friends were like... We should have followed you, honestly. (laughs) So many friends were like... My friends are like, oh, yeah, they're just, uh, uh, you were right back in 20, whenever, when you said that you yeah. hated it. And I'm like, I just, it just, as a, I, you know, what it was, it's just as a writer, I mean, I guess it's like, because I wasn't even at the maturity level, I don't think, to kind of be able to say, well, this is what I'm saying, and this is what I'm going to say, and this amount of words, and keep it there, and then keep it, and then translate it across to different platforms and whatnot. It just, as a writer, it just kept like, it just, it felt like it just kept wanting more from me. <laughs> I'm like, this is just not, it's not something that I can, and, you know, you have to, learning to refine the words and make sure that the message is clear make sure what you're saying is clear and all these different things but then everything is up for interpretation isn't it as well yeah. um yeah and it's been it's been successful for a lot of people but for me it just it just didn't work um you know you interviewed um was it julia cameron yes by the way you've frozen on the screen but i don't i can still hear you so it's fine yeah. Oh, okay. No, you're back. Sorry, you it can did. edit that out. I'm sure. Sorry. Um, you interviewed Julia Cameron, and um, how was that? Number one. Oh my like... god. Oh my goodness, she is amazing, <laughs> and awesome. honestly, those are the moments when I do the podcast and I get like a real tingle of how magical it is that I'm mm-hmm. at home on Skype with Julia Cameron like that I would never take for granted mm. um yeah she's incredible and just to be in the presence of someone older uh, mm. I think she's in her late 70s now but yeah. just to be in the presence of someone that wise someone that's lived such a full life someone that's still creating at that age really inspires me like I hope mm. that if I'm when I get into my 70s fingers crossed I yep. make it that far um <laughs> that I'll still be writing so mm. It was amazing. And what I love about her is I actually don't know much about her backstory. I just love her books and I just kind of love her for her writing. But she would just drop in these anecdotes of like, when I was married to Martin Scorsese and when this happened, and I'd be like, what? So she's one of those people who I think at a dinner party would just be so fascinating as well. Yeah, for real. You know, it's like what you said about being in the presence of older people. They've always got these treasure trove of stories and and it's like, it's like even, even now, like in my late 20s, sometimes when I'm talking to my cousins who are like 15, 16, and they're going through the worst possible yeah. things in their life. Yeah. And I'm like, 
you'll be fine in two years. <laughs> you'll be okay. Like, but um, and then when I'm talking to like my uncles and aunties and stuff, and they're literally watching us grow up through like the difficult decade. I find the difficult decade is twenty to thirty, and then whatever. Like, I don't know thirties yet. Got another year, so um, I'm just kind of like looking at it and thinking, you know what? It's always great to be in the presence of like older people because they have that experience and they have all of those kind of memories and things that they, they can kind of lend to you. Um, yeah. But as and young people, calm. we're not always going to, as young people, we're not always going to listen, but there we are. Yeah. I know yeah. she's just such a calming influence because I feel like she's just seen it all and come out the other side and is just like chilled out. Mm. And I think it's hard not to be patronising sometimes to younger people. Like even when you just said, I'm not even 30, I wanted to be like, oh, Alex, you're so young. Like <laughs> you just want to do it. And it's awful because it's so annoying. But when I was talking to her about all my problems and my creativity and how I didn't have any ideas and lockdown was awful, she was just that sort of like, oh, you'll be fine. You know, yeah. it's very comforting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just starting on on the twelve week kind of program in the artist yeah. way, just to kind of because I felt like I got really disconnected from my creativity. I was really I was really throwing myself into everything out, a lot of different things. I just finished writing the book, and then I was like, all right, I'm now I'm doing all these podcast episodes, and um, I just. Every, I was thinking about, all right, how am I going to support myself? All these different things felt really drained. And I just said, look, I need to get back to the stuff I love, do the things I enjoy, the reading, the writing, and just kind of go back into it. Um, and it's been really helpful so far. I'm on, the, I'm on week two of my morning pages. <laughs> so, yeah, that's been that's been a great help. The discipline, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I've managed to keep that up. So um, that's all great. But how did, you, how did you decide, like, all right, I'm going to be... A writer who podcasts. I'm going to be a podcaster who writes. I'm going to do both of these things and then have this voice and not necessarily only be heard through my books. So, because that's something that I kind of have trouble with sometimes in my mind. Yeah, I think for me, it's the balance of being very, very introverted and wanting to be on my own. Like, I think some of my friends and family do struggle with how different I am. Mm. in terms of not wanting to go to the pub sometimes and wanting to stay at home by myself and read. Mm. Like, I don't know many people in my immediate circle who do that. Um, I know a lot of people, like, in the writer world who I can talk to and feel less alone that I'm like that. But, you know, like, a lot of my friends like going out and (laughs) socialising. That's what they're like. Mm. So when I need to be totally like antisocial for a few months to write my books I think people are like okay Emma's just going into a cave now like see you in a bit um which is probably why why I found lockdown not too difficult if I'm being honest because Mm. I go into my own lockdowns quite a lot but the podcast offers me the connection that I crave I love podcasting because it's just a meaty conversation and I think that if I didn't have the podcast, I think I would I would have more moments of feeling like I was on my own. And um, just I just find it such a privilege to just get to dive into people's brains mm-hmm. for a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like some of the most amazing people I've ever met. I get mm-hmm. to talk to them for half an hour. And I think being a creative, you do need a lot of pep talking. You know, it's a, it's a hard slog sometimes to do a book or to you know do whatever project you're working on so I think offering little conversations to get other people motivated I'm so passionate about I Mm. think I want to 
use what I know to help other people. So I think the podcast does that in some mm. ways. Yeah, and, and to totally empathise with all of that. And um, I, t- I always said, like, you know, when the lockdown happened, I said, well, this was my life bef- in 2019. So I've been, it's like I've been preparing for 2020 all that year, all that time anyway. I wasn't going to be leaving the house anyway because working yeah. from home and doing all of that stuff. So, um, and I think, yeah, it was a struggle for a lot of people. And and as I said to you before offline, it was it really pulled out my introverted nature. Um, and, you know, I mean, a lot of my friends really struggled with trying to, with having having to deal with that with the, with the fact that they did weren't going outside and socializing and doing all of those things when I was very happy just to kind of catch up with people over the phone or just check in on people be a part of all these random group chats which I've had to minimize anyway but um and um yeah and I think yeah and that's and it does make you feel less alone when you have these conversations and like I can actually say all right cool I'm not just the weirdo in my attic who's just like writing and doesn't come downstairs until like 4 p.m or something um, yeah you find I'm your people on... yeah find your people absolutely yeah. um so let's get into some of your books um I'm going to talk about the most recent ones because we've already spoken about the multi-hyper method if anybody wants to hear that conversation scroll down the, <laughs> the podcast feed to like episode 10 um and you can and you can hear that one but we're going to talk about i wanted to get into sabotage so that's your long essay that you've put into book form um and um i was super interested about this because it was a conversation about getting out of your own way um and silencing your inner critic and that is something that a lot of creative people encounter um because and you know and I think um, even in the Julia Cameron she kind of mentions it in places but I see it a lot when I'm talking to like creative people about you know they want to do this they want to be able to write this they want to get back into animation they want to draw they want to start a business they want to do all of that then and then I come along with myself and I'm like okay so start what's up and then it's like oh but I oh but I oh if this Oh, when yeah. I and all that stuff, and um, and I've seen myself do that before, um, and I think that that is kind of where your words come in <laughs> to say sort yourself out, guys. Like stop self sabotaging. So, wanted to ask, how do we get in our own way, and how do we get out of it? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's funny because everything went into the book that I'm that I know, and it's mm-hmm. quite a short book. <laughs> So I was like, beyond the book, guys, I, I don't know. It's all in there. But I, I do think that with um with that, I completely agree with what you're saying. That is what I noticed. I did when I did the multi hyphen book, it's very much like tool based. It's like, right, we have an internet connection, we have a laptop, we're all pretty much like we've we've got some of the stuff we need now. Like we've got the YouTube tutorials, we've got the podcast episodes, we kind of know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Information is out there how do we get started? And what I've found is that it doesn't matter if everyone has all the tools, they don't have the confidence or they are horrible to themselves or they criticize themselves or they compare themselves or they're a perfectionist or they procrastinate. Like it was all there. And I thought, okay, I need to do a book on this because that's the problem. The problem isn't like having a Wi-Fi connection. If, you, if you're living like in, in the UK or in the US or like anywhere, Western world. So I thought, 
let's just dig into what self-sabotage is with some therapists and some psychologists Mm -hmm. and you know it's like memoir style writing from me about how I used to get in my own way and then basically me just having therapy but like in public (laughs) so I'm trying to help myself in the book and hopefully by me doing that I'm helping others but we really just break it down like why why do we self-sabotage why are we so scared why are our brains shaped and moulded in a way that we think writing a poem is as scary as a lion about to eat us. <laughs> like, <laughs> our brains haven't evolved to know what fear actually is. And we get scared by the craziest things. Um, so really, it's just like tips and tools on how to get over that, really. Mm. And once you have information and the knowledge of like labelling what something is... So something I learned in the book was what rehearsing means, which is when okay. you rehearse a bad situation in your head... Um, so that you think you're protecting yourself later down the line. So you might rehearse the rejection letter that you're going to get, or you might rehearse, you know, something even really darker, like someone you love dying. Like we do this sometimes, we practice for a worst case scenario. And once I spoke to therapists about why we do it, I stopped doing it because it was almost like I learned how my brain was working. So I didn't need to trick myself anymore. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think no, once you have the knowledge of how your brain is trying to like trick you, mm-hmm. you can get out of it. Yeah. Here's a word from our partners this year. This year, my intention was to work closely with businesses who were doing their very best to enhance our wellness and keep us in the best shape, especially since we are in this damn lockdown again. When I endeavoured to find some, I didn't have to look too far as they'd been around me for a very long time so the first sponsor i want to introduce is herbie box i am a tea fiend i'm currently drinking one of their teas right now and i love tea um, and i love herbal teas but the guys over at herbie box have shared with me a discount code for you time to talk listeners to get 10 percent off of your one-time purchases on their two boxes immune and athene so a brief bit about their immune box. So immune is their signature seven day booster herbal blend. It nourishes the body, promotes calm and helps increase the body's natural defenses. So if you love aromatic tasting teas, this blend is for you. Find out why so many immune reviews mention more energy, more sleep, more calm, better digestion and general feelings of well-being. Their Athene box is for the brain. So this one is a lot more to do with focus to do with energy to do with power to do with mood and it just gives you a bit more sharpness and a way to relax so these are some of the reasons why people love athene as well it kind of gives them an energy boost they are specially crafted herb vials which you get seven in a box and herby box have created this community event called a herby week where you take the seven herbs in the vial and you just drink them throughout the week and it's a way to reset and rejuvenate the body outside of the month because you know a lot of the time we forget about what we're what we're ingesting and a lot of the stress that we have we kind of put away and it kind of goes into different parts of the body so it's good to have something that helps heal the inside as well as us kind of focusing on our external especially in this new year everyone's going to be wanting to get fit get better do all that stuff but we need to really focus on what's going 
inside us. Okay, so if you want 10% off of your one-time purchase at Herbie Books, head over to HerbieBooks.com. That's H-E-R-B-Y box.com. And at checkout, use discount code AlexHolmes10. So that's AlexHolmes10. And tell them I sent you. And trust me, you won't go wrong with your seven-day herbal blend. I think it all lies with the understanding Right, like once we yeah. under, once we understand something and we figure out that it doesn't have power over us in the same way anymore, it's like a child. You know when you yeah. realize that. You know when you get older. Well, you know you get older, and then your parents don't necessarily become the dominated people that you think they are when you're like ten, and then when you're mm-hmm. seventeen, you're like, mm, really? You start to kind of move into a different kind of way of thinking about people or if, if you look at that bully or if you look at this exam or whatever like once yeah. you actually get over all of that you start to look at it completely differently you're like oh I can do this I can I can do that um that's an amazing the... analogy actually like yeah. to treat it as the bully once you know the bully might be suffering themselves or mm-hmm. they might have gone a through a bad childhood or they might be feeling vulnerable you can kind of look at the bully and be like maybe it's not me that's mm. the way I think you need to kind of look at your fear and your inner critic. You need to kind of break it down like to the point where it doesn't really bother you anymore, which is mm-hmm. hard, but possible. Yeah. Yeah. Very difficult. Yeah. You know, nothing, do you, and, I don't know if you listen to Bry- Byron Katie. She's like a spiritual. I've, um, got some, I've got some of her books. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. I've been really getting into her during lockdown mm. and she talks a lot about how your brain is in like constant fear mode, um, because you know the world has evolved so fast at such a fast pace that we are just like constantly kind of bedazzled by things and she says that there is a time where you can shift so that your brain every time it thinks it sees a snake you realize it's just a piece of rope and I really like that because I think it sums up kind of going into the next phase where you're not freaked out by everything anymore and you just realize that you are in control Mm. a bit more when was the last when can you think back to the last time you realized you were getting in your own way and then can you think back to the time where you realized that and kind of got over it um so i think i got in my own way like at the beginning of my career when i like wanted something so much that i probably acted quite entitled and kind of messed things up for myself um i there's an example in the book that is quite funny um lots of small examples but basically I remember when I was like in my early 20s I went to this book event <laughs> I went to a book panel and because I found the whole thing really snobby and like the drinks were expensive and they were like really kind of like you, you know acting like you can only write a book if you're a certain type of person it was very literary and I basically got really drunk and live tweeted how awful the panel was <laughs> And that is sab- that is sabotage. Like, I'm sabotaging the very industry I want to get into. <laughs> and they actually weren't doing anything wrong. I was just annoyed that I felt left out. Yeah. So that's a sort of example of how I would sabotage myself because I would just do things that really cut off connection and burnt <laughs> bridges. And I think people do that a lot. And mm. yes, of course, have a voice, be opinionated. Like, we, God, we need people standing up against things particularly now but I think sometimes we need to connect more than we need to like uh push people away 
Yeah, and we end up alienating ourselves, don't we? Yes. Because of yeah. all of that stuff. I, and then, I, and, and then the other example um, of self sabotage, I kind of came up against quite recently was mm-hmm. I was shrinking myself to being very, very small because I was scared essentially of having any sort of power or influence mm-hmm. and I didn't like it. And I felt like I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want anyone kind of wanting anything from me. And that was just classic sabotage because of course I want to make things. Of course I want people to read them. Of course I want people to listen to my podcast. But it all got a bit much. And I wanted to like basically just be invisible again. And when I got to the, when I kind of got into what that really was about, that was just fear. That was just me being scared and I had to get over it. Yeah. You know, (laughs) And that's why that's why I, I kind of I love what you post on Instagram, um, and when you post a I think when you post about self promotion and promoting yourself and the things that you do, like I just go a bit like <gasps> like I just get like a really weird kind of like loss of breath because that is one thing that I find really difficult um, because I'm always considering just shrinking and just being like I just let me just kind of like create this thing and then put it out and then if whoever likes it likes it if it doesn't like it likes it and um and I think that what you've taught me is that like you know you can self-promote and people don't have to like you like don't, don't have to like you don't have to like it then you know what I mean they don't have to and if they don't they don't engage with it but the people that do do and I think that that's important because you have to be proud of your work you have to be proud of what you're doing or else what is it what is it for in like the most immediate stage you know Mm. I I know what you mean and I I guess also though I do think it's important to have a space where you feel safe and heard and I think sometimes that fear comes from you know Instagram isn't I know people love Instagram but I don't think it is one of the nicest spaces it's not as bad as Twitter but it's still like a lot of people just watching what you're doing and not necessarily communicating or engaging with it. And it's, there's a lot of like lurkers on there. So (laughs) I find that if you have a community of people that get it, it's so much easier to self promote. Mm. So that's why I've started this newsletter this year, which I, I put all my energy into Mm. way more than social media. It's like my little hub where I share and write and, and um, like really connect, I think with the people that read it. And that's like, I don't mind about self-promoting there because people want to hear it. Mm-hmm. I think the fear comes from self-promoting. You know, like I used to get that exactly what you just described when I used to put my blog on Facebook, like in, in like 2009 or whatever, <laughs> because it was like my cousins and like weird yeah. old friends from school that were just clearly going, Emma's writing her feelings on the internet again <laughs> and like just kind of being horrible about it. So mm-hmm. there's a time and place to self-promote and I think you've got to find the right community yeah. to do it you gotta build your community definitely yeah. definitely and there's, and there's different places for different things on the internet like you know the ins- like your yeah. instagram page doesn't have to do that your twitter page might be the place your linkedin might you know what i mean so it's so just definitely finding where that where that part of you lies and whatnot because yeah. i um, think like self-promoting just for the sake of it is so hollow and i think people mm. can really tell like it's mm. just like oh someone's just making content and pushing it out like it's some sort of conveyor belt but I think what I mean by self-promotion and trying to get out of our own way is if you've just written a book and you've spent a whole year on it longer you've spent your life on it it would be such a shame not to shout about it basically yeah Um, yeah so yeah for real 
be proud of your work. And that's <laughs> I know. I've, I've stopped apologising. I used to do this thing where I'd be like, hi, guys, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to be talking about my book for a bit. And I'm like, mm. why did I, why would I ever say sorry? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, you should be proud. Yeah. You end up, you end up trying to, you end up trying to manage other people's feelings about what your work is when it's just you projecting. It's just, it's, exactly. it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Of, it's, it's a lot. A lot. Of, it's a lot of stuff all the time. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that's sabotage. And um, how long did it take you to write it? So that one was a bit of a strange process. Well, not strange, just different. So I wrote an essay for The Pound Project, which Mm -hmm. is a crowdfunding, like very small independent who, you know, it's really not, not to make money. It's just to kind of raise some money literally to print it um Mm -hmm. so that was fun because I basically just said if you want this book we can make it for you Mm -hmm. um so that was great we had like 2,000 people pre-order it so that was really exciting uh but that was only like 5,000 words 6,000 words um and then people really liked it basically and I just felt like there was a good response so um Hodder who are my publishers for non-fiction they worked with me on an extended version. So it took me maybe a few months to write the essay and then it took me a couple more months to write the full length. So quite yeah. quick. I think nonfiction yeah. for me, I'm pretty quick. Mm. And and because nonfiction, I think, is normally quite timely or at least it's like n- not necessarily zeitgeisty, but like it feels like it has a purpose mm-hmm. in time. I feel like you kind of have to get it out quite quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's always centered around an idea that is in real time. Yeah, as you said, timely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um but yeah, that was really good. And you know, on the back of a very productive year for you. Um Well, got... can I just say though, really quickly, that a lot of people are saying, Wow, Emma, you're twenty twenty, so productive. Yeah. And I need to clear it up that it was my two thousand nineteen that was productive. That was productive that my twenty twenty self has been lying down on the sofa and on my bed a yeah. lot. Like I am not, I really haven't done anything this year. So yeah. please don't think I'm always productive. Yeah. <laughs> like, how are you resting this year before I get into Olive? How are you resting? Um, how am I resting? That is a really good question. It, I am, I am exercising, mm-hmm. um, which is not something I used to do much of. And I'm really annoyed that people were right that it does make you feel good. <laughs> I'm like, damn it. I thought that it was all just like some annoying trap yeah. to just make me exercise. But it's true. Yeah. It has made me feel great. Yeah. Um, mentally, not, you know, it's not necessarily a physical thing for me anymore. It's more mental, but mm. really changed my life, to be honest. Mm-hmm. If, I mean, I feel like that is like the, the least groundbreaking piece of advice. <laughs> Do some exercise. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, it doesn't even have to be groundbreaking. It could just be the reminder that somebody needs. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. I know. I just don't want to act like I've invented exercising as a form of making yourself feel better, but come to it late. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing that and also just really, really checking in with my friends and family. And, you know, that's something that I guess I wasn't as good at um and I, I think life is busy, so you maybe go, like, weeks without checking in on someone, mm-hmm. whereas now I'm, like, a daily, like, WhatsApper mm-hmm. checking in on everyone that means mm-hmm. something to me. So yeah. that's been good. That's always good. That's yeah. always good. Yeah. Exercise is always... Like, my friend was like, um, you find exercise fun? I'm like, I only find it fun because I know that... I know that the feeling... The, the feeling of feeling better is coming. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like, I'm doing this to feel better. Not necessarily to, yes, okay, 
be stronger, get fitter, but I'm doing it to feel better. Um, and that's the fun bit for me because I'm like, all right, I'm going to do something that's going to make me feel better. Like, why wouldn't that be fun for me? Yeah, um, yeah. So, but it's, I know. suppose it's interesting that I answered the question, how are you resting with exercise? Mm. Because I never thought exercise could be like a self-care rest thing because mm. I think the reason I said it is because walking is being really medita- meditative mm-hmm. the gym has been time for myself and I'm sleeping so much better mm-hmm. because I'm exercising so mm-hmm. I think it's made my body just feel so much more rested and mm-hmm. also I think when if you're writing and you're a writer you can sometimes neglect your body yeah. because like everything's coming out of your head like mm-hmm. I used to be not even that long ago someone who would really not move much <laughs> like mm. I just was like I don't need to like my brain is all I need I'm like no like your brain is connected to your body mm. and your body will like will suffer and then your brain will suffer so yeah. I've made the connection this year that I can't <laughs> neglect my body and it's mm. thank thank god I've discovered it <laughs> <laughs> absolutely I have just I've just slotted in all the exercising stuff I need to do in my Google Calendar, so when people ask me if I can do things, if it if it doesn't fit around the gym, yoga, or swimming, then I'm like, okay, well, no, can't happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's so good and such a sign of like self respect, which yeah. I just think is amazing. It's like yeah. uh, you know, I come first, like my mental health comes first. I think it's really mm-hmm. brilliant. Yeah, Olive, I really enjoyed Olive. Now. What I'm trying to think like what how do I enter into this conversation into <laughs> this question? Um who is Olive? Where did she come from? Now Olive is your first fiction, is your first novel, and um you know, it's centered around Olive and a group of thirty something women and you you cleverly like cover so many different parts of these women's lives. You got you've got the mums who are new? Who are new moms? You've got moms who have several kids. You've got um, you've got women who are trying to conceive and can't, but and they're going through IVF. And you've got Olive who doesn't necessarily want kids. Yeah. But um, as a journalist, she's trying to like really find the answers um, to to do all of that stuff. Um, who's Olive, and where did she where did she come from? Like where did you where did you build this character from? Well, firstly, I'm really glad that you enjoyed it because I've actually had quite a few messages from men who have read it. And I love that because I I worry that if there's like a woman on the front cover that it would not, it would alienate male readers. I'm like, mm. no, it's for all of us. Um, but yeah, Olive is essentially a character who, um, well, I think I have to just come out and say that you know, this book is, it started from a personal place. Mm-hmm. And I think all work does. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe someone could just write a completely fictionalized historical novel that has nothing to do with them. Of course, people can. But for me, it's always going to come from an emotional place first. And I would say that in the first draft of Olive, Olive was very similar to me. And mm-hmm. then on like the fourth draft of Olive, we were completely different people. But essentially, it is a woman grappling with whether or not to be a mother. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to write that in a safe space of it not being me. Mm -hmm. So Olive is 33. She has just broken up with her long-term boyfriend. Mm -hmm. They've been together for nearly 10 years. And basically, the baby chat never really came up because they met so young. And then suddenly, they're like, 
you know, in their 30s and he turns around and says, I'm ready now to have a family. And she realises that she does not want that. And I think she describes it as like a black cloud forming over her head, realising that she's going to lose her relationship and she's also going to be potentially the odd one out in her friendship group because they all want to be mothers. So... Yeah, it's something that I'm going through, if I'm being really honest. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. it's made up, but it's also not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think one of my friends, um, I think Ashley Hickson Lovins, who wrote the, the 392, he was like, you know, there's always room for your first novel to be slightly, if not all, autobiographical yeah. um, and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, it just made me think. Um, but it's, um, I think it's a conversation that a lot of millennials are having um, because a lot of us aren't really conforming to mm. this whole, this Victorian idea of getting to 25 and marrying and then having kids by your late yeah. 20s and then being in this long marriage slash whatever it is that you're in until, like, you know, you're dead, really. Yeah. And um, and I think it was a really interesting conversation that you that you brought forward. And um, there were several things um, I wanted to kind of touch on. And it was like you know, women are, like, so scrutinised and pressured once they get to a certain age. It's like, I mean, I've had conversations around this with my with my cousins and whatnot, um, and it's like, you know, I've had, like, some of my uh, my women cousins, and they're just like, oh, yeah, if you want to, if you want to have kids, you've got to, you've got to be in a relationship now, and then you can, and then you have to plan for it, and then all of this stuff, and you, you don't want to leave it too late, so it's too difficult. And I was like, pressure, number one, I'm standing right here. I'm, you know, like, I, I don't even know if I want kids or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just like, you know, you're a guy, it's fine. You know, just like, mm. whatever, whenever, <laughs> however, sort of thing. Um, and yeah, and then when, so reading this, I was like, yeah, this is a conversation that people need to be having because we need to start looking at the way that we pressure and genderize all of this stuff. Like, it, yeah, it, it's, yeah. a, it, it's a it's a choice. And I don't think, and and, you know, this idea of it, not the person it not being something wrong with the person because they don't want kids it's just a choice that they had well it is like a ticking time bomb for women because you're just becoming very very um aware of your body and how it's changing and how Mm -hmm. your body like physically is kind of preparing itself for like wanting to get you pregnant and like all that Mm -hmm. fertility stuff but also olive i suppose is quite a nuanced layered story of actually friendships mm. becoming really tense because yeah. you know I'm in a relationship I'm getting married next year we don't want children but then I'm thinking of like my single friends look at me and go oh you're so lucky you're in a relationship but I want a child so it's like I almost feel guilty that I have a setup mm. and a home that could have a child but I'm choosing not to and then you have friends who are going through IVF and then you've got another friend who's like announcing their pregnancy on Instagram and like another friend is really jealous and it's very, very sticky and it mm. becomes really emotional. And, um, you know, there's all sorts, you know, even people, there's something in the book actually where mm. one of the characters, Isla, is going through IVF and yeah. she's a therapist as her day job and she's talking to someone who's just had an abortion. So you've got someone who's like desperate for a child giving like therapy advice to someone who didn't want one and had the chance to have one like it's so yeah it's hard and Mm. um i just really wanted to go there with the book Mm, mm, mm. conversations that need to be had 
absolutely mm. just because um we, i think we're just entering into realms where things just i mean where norms and so many things are changing societally mm. like you know just this year alone is so much as so much is happening and happened that is kind of shaking up the way that we all kind of work live and kind of encounter engage with one another and and the yeah. like and um but it's interesting what you said about friendships um and how it's like you move into your late 20s early 30s and then you've kind of got your friends and then you all are you know at one at one given point you're probably either all single you're all in relationships or whatever and then then a shift happens someone's getting married mm-hmm. and it's like oh we're no longer just these two single guys or whatever like you're actually yeah, getting married yeah, you're yeah. being an adult sort of thing um and as you said like you know somebody else is getting getting pregnant and becoming a mother and you know i've got friends who've become fathers and and then i'm just like any of this stuff doesn't doesn't it doesn't relate to me i'm just like this is just all yeah, and, yeah. And, and and it's like working through that so i think it, this book was a lot of self-interrogation for myself just kind yeah. of like w- like watching all of these characters interact with one another um and, and they don't just, treat each other very well sometimes like yeah, uh, some, I, in some of the reviews people are like olive is such a dick and i'm yeah. like yeah she is a bit but yeah. i also think we need to forgive each other for our reactions i mean one of our friends actually um was like really off with us when we when me and paul said we were engaged and then we kind of dug into it a bit and he was like oh i'm just a bit sad because like that means that you guys might like move away like basically he was upset that he might lose us and i was like no that's not what this is about so i think what's really kind of funny about like when a friend says they're pregnant sometimes is you can be a bit like a bit worried that you're going to lose them and I think that's what happens with Olive is she's quite mean to her friends when they're pregnant because <laughs> yeah. she's like, what about me? I wanted to go to the pub with you and now you're pregnant. Yeah. And it's like, I wanted to kind of show that we're all, we can all be quite awful sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Olive was, Olive made me laugh because it was like, obviously it was from her point of view. <laughs> like, and it was just hilarious because it was just like, everybody's sitting around having lunch and like, she's fine. And <laughs> she's drinking and then someone's like, I've got something to tell you. And she's like, Why? <laughs> Why are you doing this? Um, there's so many like, times I, I just ended up laughing. Same forever. <laughs> she's like, I want us to all be the same forever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and she's going through all her own stuff, and um, yeah, and I think it was a very, yeah, it was a very, it was very. I want to say it was um, like the way I kind of encountered it, because there are obviously things that I ne- like don't won't experience, and um, and it was like getting the perspective of like women in these positions because obviously you know things it it gets hard it gets harder as you go older as you said um and and your body is preparing for all of that and then relationships end and then um even olive entered into a relationship with someone older and it was just like and that and that stuff happens and it reminded me of like um um monica from um, in friends you know when she was kind of dating somebody older and there was like none of that kind of like pressure on her yeah. on pressure to have kids because she because he was older and it's like there's all of yeah. that and then her parents are like well he's older like we were, you know are you gonna have children and all this stuff and then, and then obviously monica's story kind of developed from there and we all know kind of what happened yes. in the end with yeah. Aaron chandler but um it's yeah so it's true. very interesting it's just very very interesting um but i wanted to ask like how did you feel about kind of turning 30 and entering into that into that space and do you have any tips for me? Because I don't know what to expect. Um, well, I kind of just want to like, go away for a year <laughs> and just be 30 and then come back and be like, I'm here. Sort of thing. 
It's great over here, Alex. You're going to love being 30. I, I found turning 30 really great. I mean, I found that my imposter syndrome like goes away now because being 30, you're like, you are an adult then. And you can't, for me, I blamed a lot of my clumsiness or my chaotic choices on like, oh, I'm in my 20s. Like, I just put it all down to like, what am I like? I'm in my 20s. And now I feel, I don't know that I'm, I I, I feel like I have more conviction in what I'm saying. Even when I was promoting my books in my 20s, I didn't really believe what I was saying half the time because I felt like, well, I'm young and I don't really know what I'm doing. And now I just feel that no one can really tell me off. <laughs> um, yeah. Like if someone kind of tries to like slap my wrist and tell me that I've said something, I'm just like, I, I, I think things don't affect me as much. And mm. you, but you have a stronger sense of self and you feel like, you, you, obviously we can all change and grow and I'm not done growing and changing and learning but I feel like the core of who I am is like quite solid now mm-hmm. so I don't know I think it's like a good decade for cementing your beliefs who you are what you want to do whereas in my 20s I was always confused and worried I was doing the wrong thing well that's encouraging thank you Emma you're gonna <laughs> love it <laughs> um <laughs> Because I feel like you're right about, you know, you're actually a full adult. You've been, would you have been an adult longer than you've been a young person? I don't know. But it's like when you're in your 20s, it's because you're, you're, you're growing into an adult from like 18 to like, I want to say 26 at the very latest. Mm. And um, by the time you get to like, and I think that by 30, you've got that full stretch as an, as an adult just to kind of do what you have to do, I guess. Um, yeah. And I think I owned up to like a lot of my bullshit when I turned 30 Mm. I just felt like it was my own arbitrary deadline of like I'm not gonna make excuses anymore um I don't know I just there was a power of stepping into your 30s and um yeah it's it's honestly if it's like this and gets better like this into your 40s and 50s I'm just excited by that I think Mm. there's something really comforting in that that getting Mm. older gets kind of not easier but it just Mm. gets like more comfortable in your in yourself like watching my parents and my uncles and aunties and stuff i think like the the 50s look really fun like Mm. they look fun um so (laughs) we'll see what happens when we get there um um i hope you i hope you do something big to celebrate though because i'm quite sent i'm quite sentimental about birthdays i just think we're so lucky to be here and Mm, getting older i am i'm i'm i love celebrating my birthday i think there was a point up until i was 25 where i hated it mm. um because it's like banging the christmas holiday it's like it's 29th of december so it's a banging christmas holiday it's before new year's it's after christmas and nobody's mm. free everybody's broke or whatever whatever um and then for the past few years i've been really celebrating it and i think that it's just it is something that i'm a more i'm becoming more attuned to doing because no year is promised and it's the year that I came into the world, so why can't it be fun? You know, why can't the day be fun? Why can't the day just be mine? You know, just like, just something. So, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to to seeing how how I celebrate that year. But each year as it comes, definitely, definitely. So, guys, go out and get sabotage and olive. Um, You know, we can you know I want to hear what you guys think about those books, and I want to definitely hear what you guys think about olive. Um, and and the like, and obviously shoot off, shoot over your reviews to Emma. Emma, you're more than <laughs> receptive of them. Um, but one last few questions I have for you is: um, 
two questions. Are you proud of yourself? And are you optimistic about what is to come? Mm, those are good questions. I am proud of myself. I had a moment actually at Cheltenham Festival two weeks ago and all mm. my books were there. That yeah, I, I like, saw that. Little piles of my books. And I did have a moment of like, there, you know, those are some things that you've made. Well done. And that was mm. nice, just seeing it all together. Um, and am I optimistic? <laughs> well, today I'm feeling optimistic because if I'm being quite honest, the world's problems now are too big to even take on sometimes. Like they're just so ginormous and so worrying. You know, this year has been a lot, as you know, like on many, many levels um, that I think almost it's a choice now to you either you either become hopeful or you completely crumble. And I'm I'm going to choose the hopeful path, I think. Amazing. Well, thank you for joining me today on Time to Talk, Emma. Um, where can people find you? Just throw the email. Google. Uh, <laughs> Google Emma Gannon. <laughs> well, because I'm trying to write another book at the moment, mm. I'm actually trying to use Instagram less. So I won't say my Instagram because otherwise I'll be on there you know, looking at things. Um, so at the moment, I'm actually hanging out um, on my newsletter more than anything okay. else. So that's yeah. the hyphen. If you Google my website, you can find it. Yeah, amazing. Thank and you. guys, you know where to find me. I'm going to come back next week. I'll catch you guys on Friday where we talk to Emma about the books that have moved her. So see you there. Thanks for having me. All right. Let's. Do you have the books that you... Yeah, did you choose um, any books? Oh yes, I do actually. Um, Amazing. Can they? They can be anything. They can be anything. It doesn't have to be long. Um, three books. I'm just going to ask you, kind of, what the books are that. I mean, I've read so much recently. Yeah. Have you been just hoovering yeah. things up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what have I been reading? I've read. <sighs> Oh. I've got a few new books that are coming next year. I've been kind of trying to get through those, but also I'm just like start kind of get into my Michael A. Singer mm. um, and the Seat of the Soul and all of those things because Lord knows I need it. Yeah. <laughs> right, <by now. laughs> I can't wait right. to have you on my podcast. By the way, yeah, just lots definitely. of lots of things I really want to ask you. Yeah, go for it. Um, looking forward to that. I'm, I'm, I have I have the press the publicity meeting with my publisher in, in next week, so that's all kind of scary and new and different. That's exciting. Congratulations so, for finishing it. I didn't know you'd finished it. It's amazing. I finished it in September. Yeah, it was a slog, but I finished it in September. I submitted it in September, and um, it was accepted. So that's all. So that was all, that was the pressure that I had. Oh, all right. Um, do you have the? Do yes, you have them? I do. All right, I do. Okay, let's. <clears throat> and welcome to Books That Move Me. And I have Emma Gannon here, who you would have heard on the Monday episode. But we're here to talk about books. And the books that have moved Emma are with us now. So let's start with book number one. What's the first book that has moved you, Emma? 
So book number one mm-hmm. is a book that honestly I think about maybe once a day, which is I'm Not Your Baby Mother by Candice Brathwaite. And it's basically a really well-written, engaging, informative, compelling memoir about being a mother, but not really what we see in most motherhood books. Mm -hmm. So her perspective is she's a black British mother and this is the first book, and this baffles me, the first book, basically, non-fiction book on like black British motherhood. Um, so you can imagine like when you type in motherhood into Amazon, you're just looking at the same books, kind Mm. of white middle-class mothers. And this book just really, I know, I just absolutely love the way that she story tells, but also just the anecdotes, I suppose, kind of peppered through that make you realize that, you know, we might not be in the, we might be in the same boat, but we're not in the same storm. I think is Mm -hmm. the phrase. So what she goes through, what she's had to kind of overcome on a daily basis is Mm -hmm. just not what we see in motherhood books, basically. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's really eye opening and Mm. I really recommend it. Okay. So that's, I'm not your baby mother by Candice Brathwaite. Um, and for book number two, what did you, what did you find? What did you so, dig out of your of your treasure trove of books? <laughs> Seriously, the books beside my bed at the moment, it's like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. <laughs> like, it's just another book. When's it going to fall over? Like, Jenga. Um, yeah. But I've also been reading... So there's a theme here, because they're all non-fiction. And at the right. moment, I've just been wanting to read about real people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether that's just, like, me wanting to connect to other people, yeah. but just want to, like, get under the skin of real stories. So mm-hmm. the the next book I've been reading is called She Matters, A Life in Friendships. And this was actually recommended by Elizabeth Gilbert, who oh, I God. reference in every conversation, because I love her. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've been looking for a book about friendship, and specifically female friendship, mm. that covers like the really messy parts, mm-hmm. the ups and the downs, and the, the heartbreak, and the breakups, and the competition, and like the kind of icky stuff that no one wants to talk about. Mm. I think sometimes in female friendship books, it's like, girl gang squad goals like female friendship is the best and we always have each other have each other's back and that isn't really what friendship is like sometimes Mm -hmm. like sometimes people can disappoint you and let you down sometimes people drift from you or you fall out um so anyway this memoir is is like essays about her friendships and it kind of makes you feel a bit better because she Mm -hmm. talks about some of the kind of hard moments with friends not just the good times mm. it's interesting because um when you think about friendships is that what you said you know it's like that glossy feeling or like you know we're all we're all in this together with like you know we're a band of brothers or you know we're sister we're sister friends and all this thing but it's also like you have to remember that friendships are relationships like any other like as you said people are going to let you down people are going to get angry with you you are going to be, you are going to grieve with one another. You know what I mean? Like they are relationships. Um, I think that's what everybody forgets. They think it's going to be perfect forever. And then they're just devastated when something, when somebody lets them down, you know? Yeah, because friendship can sometimes feel like a romance. Like Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like that sometimes with new friends. You're like Mm -hmm. obsessed with each other, Mm -hmm. can't stop messaging each other. And sometimes it can fizzle, fizzle out. So yeah, it's really good. Who's that by? That is by Susanna Sonnenberg. 
who I hadn't come across before, but she's clearly someone who kind of has gone down well in like the New York writing scene because yeah. there's a quote from the New York Times on the front cover. So wow, okay, she's she's great, amazing. Um, and what's the third book that has moved you? The third book is a book by Dr. Emma Hepburn, who is a psychologist, a therapist for the NHS. And she's just uh, written a book called A Toolkit for Modern Life. Hmm. And it also says below it, 53 Ways to Look After Your Mind. Hmm. And it's honestly one of the most helpful books ever on life overwhelm, like modern life and how stressful it is. Um, she's broken it down into like loads of really, really handy tips on how to kind of make yourself feel better in the moment if you're feeling really burnt out or you've had a really bad day or you feel like the to-do list is really long. Um, she's just done, you know, written this book about actionable ways to calm down. Mm -hmm. And what I really love about it is she's all she's also an illustrator. So mm -hmm. she's like a multi-hyphenate therapist yeah. slash writer slash illustrator. And um, she's basically done illustrations that sum up how our brains work, how burnout occurs, how sometimes we have too many things in the jar. Like she basically, her illustrations have basically explained a lot of things that I think would be hard to understand if it was just words. So mm. I really think it should be in schools. I think kids should read it. I think everyone should read it. It's really, yeah. really good. So just remind me of the title and the author one more time. So it's called A Toolkit for Modern Life by Dr. Emma Hepburn. Ooh. It's really, yeah, yeah, it's really great. Amazing. Well, thank you, Emma, for thank joining you. me on the books that move me as part of Time to Talk. Um, you guys, you guys, you guys all know where to find her. Um, if you don't, check back on the past episode, but also it's in the show notes. I'll catch you guys next week. Goodbye. This episode was produced by Pure Creation Media by Ryan Nile. Head over to the show notes to find out where you can find more about him and the work that he does. I want to thank you all very much for listening and I would love to get you guys to head over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts and just rate, review and subscribe and share with your friends. Please let's help get the message out. And I look forward to chatting to you all next week. Bye. Bye.